File 10 of Farthest North, Volume 1. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Sharon Riskadal. Farthest North by Fritjof Nansen, Volume 1. Chapter 6, The Winter Night, Part 2. Saturday, October 14th. Today we have got on the rudder. The engine is pretty well in order, and we are clear to start north when the ice opens tomorrow morning. It is still slackening and packing quite regularly twice a day, so that we can calculate on it beforehand. Today we had the same open channel to the north, and beyond it open sea as far as our view extended. What can this mean? This evening the pressure has been pretty violent. The floes were packed up against the Fram on the port side, and were once or twice on the point of toppling over the rail. The ice, however, broke below. They tumbled back again, and had to go under us after all. It is not thick ice, and cannot do much damage, but the force is something enormous. On the masses come, incessantly without a pause. They look irresistible, but slowly and surely they are crushed against the Fram's sides. Now, 8.30 p.m., the pressure has at last stopped. Clear evening, sparkling stars, and flaming northern lights. I had finished writing my diary, gone to bed, and was lying reading in The Origin of the Species about the struggle for existence, when I heard the dogs out on the ice making more noise than usual. I called into the saloon that someone ought to go up and see if it was bears they were barking at. Hansen went and came back immediately, saying that he believed he had seen some large animal out in the dark. Go and shoot it then. That he was quite ready to do, and went up again at once, accompanied by some of the others. A shot went off on deck above my head, then another. Shot followed shot, nine in all. Johansen and Henriksen rushed down for more cartridges and declared that the creature was shot. It was roaring so horribly, but so far they had only indistinctly seen a large grayish-white mass out there in the dark moving about among the dogs. Now they were going on to the ice after it. Four of them set off, and not far away they really did find a dead bear with marks of two shots. It was a young one. The old one must be at hand, and the dogs were still barking loudly. Now they all felt sure that they had seen two together, and that the other also must be badly wounded. Johansen and Henriksen heard it groaning in the distance when they were out on the ice again afterwards to fetch a knife they had left lying where the dead one had lain. The creature had been dragged on board and skinned at once before it had time to stiffen in the cold. Sunday, October 15th. To our surprise, the ice did not slacken away much during last night after the violent pressure, and what was worse, there was no indication of slackening in the morning now that we were quite ready to go. Slight signs of it showed themselves a little later, upon which I gave orders to get up steam, and while this was being done, I took a stroll on the ice to look for traces of yesterday evening. I found tracks not only of the bear that had been killed and of a larger one that might be the mother, but of a third which must have been badly wounded, as it had sometimes dragged itself on its hindquarters and had left a broad track of blood. 
after following the traces for a good way and discovering that i had no weapon to dispatch the animal with but my own fists i thought it would be as well to return to the ship to get a gun and companions who would help to drag the bear back i had also some small hope that in the meantime the ice might have slackened so that in place of going after game we might go north with the fram but no such luck so i put on my snowshoes and set off after our bear some of the dogs with me and one or two men following at some distance we came to the place where it had spent the night poor beast a ghastly night here i also saw tracks of the mother one shudders to think of her watching over her poor young one which must have had its back shot through soon we came up to the cripple dragging itself away from us over the ice as best it could seeing no other way of escape it threw itself into a small water opening and dived time after time while we were putting a noose on a rope the dogs rushed around the hole as if they had gone mad and it was difficult to keep them from jumping into the water after the bear at last we were ready and the next time the creature came up it got a noose round one paw and a ball in the head whilst the others drew it to the ship i followed the mother's tracks for some way but could not find her i had soon to turn back to see if there was no prospect of moving the fram but i found that the ice had packed together again a little at the very time when we could generally calculate on its slackening in the afternoon hansen and i went off once more after the bear we saw as i expected that she had come back and had followed her daughter's funeral procession for some way but then she had gone off east and as it grew dark we lost her tracks in some newly packed ice we have only one matter for regret in connection with this bear episode and that is the disappearance of two dogs narifus and fox probably they went off in terror on the first appearance of the three bears they may have been hurt but i have seen nothing to suggest this the ice is quiet this evening also only a little pressure about seven o'clock monday october sixteenth ice quiet and close observations on the twelfth placed us in seventy eight degrees five minutes north latitude steadily southwards this is almost depressing the two runaways returned this morning tuesday october seventeenth continuous movement in the ice it slackened a little again during the night some way off to starboard there was a large opening shortly after midnight there was strong pressure and between eleven and twelve a m came a tremendous squeeze since then it has slackened again a little wednesday october eighteenth when the meteorologist johansen was on deck this morning reading the thermometers he noticed that the dogs which are now tied up on board were barking loudly down at something on the ice he bent over the rail astern near the rudder and saw the back of a bear below him close in at the ship's side off he went for a gun and the animal fell with a couple of shots we saw afterwards by its tracks that it had inspected all the heaps of sweepings round the ship a little later in the morning i went for a stroll on the ice hansen and johansen were busy with some magnetic observations to the south of the ship it was beautiful sunshiny weather i was standing beside an open pool a little way ahead examining the formation and growth of the new ice when i heard a gun go off on board 
I turned and just caught a glimpse of a bear making off towards the hummocks. It was Henriksen who had seen it from the deck, coming marching towards the ship. When it was a few paces off, it saw Hansen and Johansen and made straight for them. By this time Henriksen had got his gun, but it missed fire several times. He has an unfortunate liking for smearing the lock so well with Vaseline that the spring works as if it lay in soft soap. At last it went off, and the ball went through the bear's back and breast in a slanting direction. The animal stood up on its hind legs, fought the air with its forepaws, then flung itself forward and sprang off to fall after about thirty steps. The ball had grazed the heart. It was not till the shot went off that Hansen saw the bear, and then he rushed up and put two revolver balls into its head. It was a large bear, the largest we had got yet. About midday I was in the crow's nest. In spite of the clear weather I could not discover land on any side. The opening far to the north has quite disappeared, but during the night a large new one has formed quite close to us. It stretches both north and south, and has now a covering of ice. The pressure is chiefly confined to the edges of this opening, and can be traced in walls of packed ice as far as the horizon in both directions. To the east the ice is quite unbroken and flat. We have lain just in the worst pressure. Thursday, October 19th. The ice again slackened a little last night. In the morning I attempted a drive with six of the dogs. When I had managed to harness them to the Samoyed sledge, had seated myself on it, and called purr, purr, they went off in quite good style over the ice. But it was not long before we came to some high pack ice and had to turn. This was hardly done before they were off back to the ship at lightning speed, and they were not to be got away from it again. Round and round it they went, from refuse heap to refuse heap. If I started at the gangway on the starboard side, and tried by thrashing them to drive them out over the ice, round the stern they flew to the gangway on the port side. I tugged, swore, and tried everything I could think of, but all to no purpose. I got out and tried to hold the sledge back, but was pulled off my feet and dragged merrily over the ice in my smooth sealskin breeches, on back, stomach, side, just as it happened. When I managed to stop them at some pieces of pack ice or a dust heap, round they went again to the starboard gangway, with me dangling behind, swearing madly that I would break every bone in their bodies when I got at them. This game went on till they probably tired of it, and thought they might as well go my way for a change. So now they went off beautifully across the flat flow until I stopped for a moment's breathing space. But at the first movement I made in the sledge, they were off again, tearing wildly back the way we had come. I held on convulsively, pulled, raged, and used the whip, but the more I lashed, the faster they went on their own way. At last I got them stopped by sticking my legs down into the snow between the sledge shafts and driving a strong seal-hook into it as well. But while I was off my guard for a moment, they gave a tug. I lay with my hinder part where my legs had been, and we went on at lightning speed, that substantial part of my body leaving a deep track in the snow. This sort of thing went on time after time. 
I lost the board I should have sat on, then the whip, then my gloves, then my cap, these losses not improving my temper. Once or twice I ran round in front of the dogs and tried to force them to turn by lashing at them with a whip. They jumped to both sides and only tore on the faster. The reins got twisted round my ankles, and I was thrown flat on the sledge, and they went on more wildly than ever. This was my first experience in dog-driving on my own account, and I will not pretend that I was proud of it. I inwardly congratulated myself that my feats had been unobserved. In the afternoon I examined the melted water of the newly formed brownish-red ice, of which there is a good deal in the openings round us here. The microscope proved this color to be produced by swarms of small organisms, chiefly plants, quantities of diatoms and some algae, a few of them very peculiar in form. Saturday, October 21st. I have stayed in today because of an affection of the muscles or rheumatism which I have had for some days on the right side of my body, and for which the doctor is massaging me, thereby greatly adding to my sufferings. Have I really grown so old and palsied, or is the whole thing imagination? It is all I can do to limp about, but I just wonder if I could not get up and run with the best of them if there happened to be any great occasion for it. I almost believe I could. A nice arctic hero of thirty-two, lying here in my berth, have had a good time reading home letters, dreaming myself at home, dreaming of the homecoming. In how many years? Successful or unsuccessful? What does that matter? I had a sounding taken. It showed over 73 fathoms, 135 meters, so we are in deeper water again. The sounding line indicated that we are drifting southwest. I do not understand this steady drift southwards. There has not been much wind either lately. There is certainly a little from the north today, but not strong. What can be the reason of it? With all my information, all my reasoning, all my putting of two and two together, I cannot account for any south-going current here. There ought to be a north-going one. If the current runs south here, how is that great open sea we steamed north across to be explained? and the bay we ended in farthest north? These could only be produced by the north-going current, which I presupposed. The only thing which puts me out a bit is that west-going current which we had against us during our whole voyage along the Siberian coast. We are never going to be carried away south by the new Siberian islands, then west along the coast of Siberia, and then north by Cape Chaluskin, the very way we came, that would be rather too much of a good thing, to say nothing of its being dead against every calculation. Well, who cares? Somewhere we must go. We can't stay here forever. It will all come right in the end, as the saying goes, but I wish we could get on a little faster wherever we are going. On our Greenland expedition, too, we were carried south to begin with, and that ended well. Sunday, October 22nd. Henriksen took soundings this morning and found 70 fathoms, 129 meters of water. If we are drifting at all, said he, it is to the east, but there seems to be almost no movement, no wind today. I am keeping in my den. 
Monday, October 23rd, still in the den. Today, five fathoms shallower than yesterday. The line points southwest, which means that we are drifting northeastward. Hansen has reckoned out the observation for the 19th, and finds that we must have got ten minutes farther north, and must be in 78 degrees 15 minutes north latitude. So at last, now that the wind has gone down, the north-going current is making itself felt. Some channels have opened near us, one along the side of the ship, and one ahead near the old channel. Only slight signs of pressure in the afternoon. Tuesday, October 24th. Between 4 and 5 a.m. there was strong pressure, and the fram was lifted up a little. It looks as if the pressure were going to begin again. We have spring tide with full moon. The ice opened so much this morning that the fram was afloat in her cutting. Later on it closed again, and about eleven there was some strong pressure. Then came a quiet time, but in the afternoon the pressure began once more and was violent from four to four-thirty. The fram was shaken and lifted up, didn't mind a bit. Peter gave it as his opinion that the pressure was coming from the northeast, for he had heard the noise approaching from that direction. Johansen let down the silk net for me about eleven fathoms. It was all he could do to get it up again in time, but it brought up a good catch. Am still keeping in. Wednesday, October 25th. We had a horrible pressure last night. I woke and felt the fram being lifted, shaken, and tossed about, and heard the loud cracking of the ice breaking against her sides. After listening for a little while, I fell asleep again, with a snug feeling that it was good to be on board the fram. It would be confoundedly uncomfortable to have to be ready to turn out every time there was a little pressure, or to have to go off with our bundles on our backs like the Tegethoff people. It is quickly getting darker. The sun stands lower and lower every time we see it. Soon it will disappear altogether, if it has not done so already. The long dark winter is upon us, and glad shall we be to see the spring. But nothing matters much if we could only begin to move north. There is now southwesterly wind, and the windmill, which has been ready for several days, has been tried at last and works splendidly. We have beautiful electric light today, though the wind has not been specially strong, 5 to 8 meters, 16 to 26 feet per second. Electric lamps are a grand institution. What a strong influence light has on one's spirits. There was a noticeable brightening up at the dinner table today. The light acted on our spirits like a draught of good wine, and how festive the saloon looks. We felt it quite a great occasion, drank Oscar Dixon's health, and voted him the best of good fellows. Wonderful moonshine this evening, light as day, and along with it aurora borealis, yellow and strange in the white moonlight. A large ring round the moon, all this over the great stretch of white shining ice, here and there in our neighborhood piled up high by the pressure. And in the midst of this silent, silvery ice world, the windmill sweeps round its dark wings against the deep blue sky and the aurora. A strange contrast, civilization making a sudden incursion into this frozen, ghostly world. 
Tomorrow is the Fram's birthday. How many memories it recalls of the launch day a year ago. Thursday, October 26th. 164 fathoms, 300 meters of water when the soundings were taken this morning. We are moving quickly north. Due north, says Peter. It does look as if things were going better. Great celebration of the day, beginning with target shooting. Then we had a splendid dinner of four courses, which put our digestive apparatus to a severe test. The Fram's health was drunk amidst great and stormy applause. The proposer's words were echoed by all hearts when he said that she was such an excellent ship for our purpose that we could not imagine a better great applause, and we therefore wished her and ourselves with her long life here, here. After supper came strawberry and lemon punch, and prizes were presented with much ceremony and a good deal of fun, all being taken off in turn in suitable mottoes, for the most part composed by the ship's doctor. There was a prize for each man. The first prize-taker was awarded the wooden cross of the Order of the Fram, to wear suspended from his neck by a ribbon of white tape. The last received a mirror, in which to see his fallen greatness. Smoking in the saloon was allowed this evening, so now pipes, toddy, and an animated game of whist ended a bright and successful holiday. Sitting here now alone, my thoughts involuntarily turned to the year that has gone since we stood up there on the platform, and she threw the champagne against the bow, saying, Fromm is your name, and the strong, heavy hull began to glide so gently. I held her hand tight. The tears came into eyes and throat, and one could not get out a word. The sturdy hull dived into the glittering water. A sunny haze lay over the whole picture. Never shall I forget the moment we stood there together, looking out over the scene. And to think of all that has happened these four last months, separated by sea and land and ice, coming years, too, lying between us. It is all just the continuation of what happened that day. But how long is it to last? I have such difficulty in feeling that I am not to see home again soon. When I begin to reflect, I know that it may be long, but I will not believe it. Today, moreover, we took solemn farewell of the sun. Half of its disk showed at noon for the last time above the edge of the ice in the south, a flattened body with a dull red glow, but no heat. Now we are entering the night of winter. What is it bringing us? Where shall we be when the sun returns? No one can tell. To console us for the loss of the sun, we have the most wonderful moonlight, the moon goes round the sky night and day. There is, strange to say, little pressure just now, only an occasional slight squeeze. But the ice often opens considerably. There are large pieces of water in several directions. Today there were some good-sized ones to the south. Friday, October 27th. The soundings this morning showed 52 fathoms, 95 meters of water. According to observations taken yesterday afternoon, we are about three minutes farther north and a little farther west than on the 19th. It is disgusting the way we are muddling about here. We must have got into a hole where the ice grinds round and round and can't get farther. 
and the time is passing all to no purpose, and goodness only knows how long this sort of thing may go on. If only a good south wind would come and drive us north out of this hobble. The boys have taken up the rudder again today. While they were working at this in the afternoon, it suddenly grew as bright as day. A strange fireball crossed the sky in the west, giving a bluish-white light, they said. Johansen ran down to the saloon to tell Hansen and me. He said they could still see the bright trails it had left in its train. When we got on deck, we saw a bent bow of light in the triangle near Deheb. The meteor had disappeared in the neighborhood of Epsilon Cygna, constellation Swan, but its light remained for a long time, floating in the air like glowing dust. No one had seen the actual fireball, as they had all had their backs turned to it, and they could not say if it had burst. This is the second great meteor of exceptional splendor that has appeared to us in these regions. The ice has a curious inclination to slacken without pressure having occurred, and every now and then we find the ship floating in open water. This is the case today. Saturday, October 28th. Nothing of any importance. Moonshine night and day. A glow in the south from the sun. Sunday, October 29th. Peter shot a white fox this morning close in to the ship. For some time lately we have been seeing fox tracks in the mornings, and one Sunday Mogstead saw the fox itself. It has no doubt been coming regularly to feed on the offal of the bears. Shortly after the first one was shot, another was seen. It came and smelt its dead comrade, but soon set off again and disappeared. It is remarkable that there should be so many foxes on this drift ice so far from land. But after all, it is not much more surprising than my coming upon fox tracks out on the ice between Jan Mayen and Spitzbergen. Monday, October 30th. Today the temperature has gone down 18 degrees Fahrenheit below zero, minus 27 degrees centigrade. I took up the dredge I had put out yesterday. It brought up two pails of mud from the bottom, and I have been busy all day washing this out in the saloon in a large bath to get the many animals contained in it. They were chiefly starfish, waving starfish, medusa, astrophyton, sea slugs, coral insects, alcyonaria, worms, sponges, shellfish, and crustaceans, and were, of course, all carefully preserved in spirits. Tuesday, October 31st. 49 fathoms, 90 meters of water today, and the current driving us hard to the southwest. We have good wind for the mill now, and the electric lamps burn all day. The arc lamp under the skylight makes us quite forget the want of sun. Oh, light is a glorious thing, and life is fair in spite of all privations. This is Sverdrup's birthday, and we had revolver practice in the morning. Of course, a magnificent dinner of five courses, chicken soup, boiled mackerel, reindeer ribs with baked cauliflower and potatoes, macaroni pudding, and stewed pears with milk, ringness ale to wash it down. Thursday, November 2nd. The temperature keeps at about 22 degrees Fahrenheit below zero, minus 30 degrees centigrade now. But it does not feel very cold, the air is so still. We can see the aurora borealis in the daytime, too. 
I saw a very remarkable display of it about three this afternoon. On the southwestern horizon lay the glow of the sun. In front of it light clouds were swept together, like a cloud of dust rising above a distant troop of riders. Then dark streamers of gauze seemed to stretch from the dust cloud up over the sky, as if it came from the sun, or perhaps rather, as if the sun were sucking it into itself from the whole sky. It was only in the southwest that these streamers were dark. A little higher up, farther from the sun-glow, they grew white and shining, like fine, glistening silver gauze. They spread over the vault of heaven above us, and right away towards the north. They certainly resembled aurora borealis, but perhaps they might be only light vapors hovering high up in the sky and catching the sunlight? I stood long looking at them. They were singularly still, but they were northern lights, changing gradually in the southwest into dark cloud streamers and ending in the dust cloud over the sun. Hansen saw them, too, later, when it was dark. There was no doubt of their nature. His impression was that the aurora borealis spread from the sun over the whole vault of heaven like the stripes on the inner skin of an orange. Sunday, November 5th. A great race on the ice was advertised for today. The course was measured, marked off, and decorated with flags. The cook had prepared the prizes, cakes, numbered, and properly graduated in size. The expectation was great, but it turned out that, from excessive training during the few last days, the whole crew were so stiff in the legs that they were not able to move. We got our prizes all the same. One man was blindfolded, and he decided who was to have each cake as it was pointed at. This just arrangement met with general approbation, and we all thought it a pleasanter way of getting the prizes than running half a mile for them. So it is Sunday once more. How the days drag past. I work, read, think, and dream. Strum a little on the organ, go for a walk on the ice in the dark. Low on the horizon, in the southwest, there is the flush of the sun, a dark fierce red, as if of blood aglow with all life's smoldering longings, low and far off, like the dreamland of youth. Higher in the sky it melts into orange, and that into green and pale blue, and then comes deep blue, star-sown, and then infinite space where no dawn will ever break. In the north are quivering arches of faint aurora, trembling now like awakening longings, but presently, as if at the touch of a magic wand, to storm as streams of light through the dark blue of heaven, never at peace, restless as the very soul of man. I can sit and gaze and gaze, my eyes entranced by the dream glow yonder in the west, where the moon's thin, pale, silver sickle is dipping its point into the blood, and my soul is borne beyond the glow to the sun, so far off now, and to the homecoming. Our task accomplished, we are making our way up the fjord as fast as sail and steam can carry us. On both sides of us the homeland lies smiling in the sun, and then the sufferings of a thousand days and hours melt into a moment's inexpressible joy. Ugh! That was a bitter gust! I jump up and walk on. What am I dreaming about? So far yet from the goal, hundreds and hundreds of miles between us, ice and land, and ice again. 
and we are drifting round and round in a ring bewildered attaining nothing only waiting always waiting for what i dreamt i lay on a grassy bank and the sun shone warm and clear i wakened on a desert isle and the sky was black and drear one more look at the star of home the one that stood that evening over cape chelyuskin and i creep on board where the windmill is turning in the cold wind and the electric light is streaming out from the skylight upon the icy desolation of the arctic night wednesday november eighth the storm which we had had the two previous days is quite gone down not even enough breeze for the mill we tried letting the dogs sleep on the ice last night instead of bringing them on board in the evening as we have been doing lately the result was that another dog was torn to pieces during the night it was ulebrand the old brown toothless fellow that went this time job and moses had gone the same way before yesterday evening's observations place us in seventy seven degrees forty three minutes north latitude and one hundred thirty eight degrees eight minutes east longitude this is farther south than we have been yet no help for it but it is a sorry state of matters and that we are farther east than ever before is only a poor consolation it is new moon again and we may therefore expect pressure the ice is in fact already moving it began to split on saturday and has broken up more each day the channels have been of a good size and the movement becomes more and more perceptible yesterday there was slight pressure and we noticed it again this morning about five o'clock to-day the ice by the ship has opened and we are almost afloat here i sit in the still winter night on the drifting ice floe and see only stars above me far off i see the threads of life twisting themselves into the intricate web which stretches unbroken from life's sweet morning dawn to the eternal death stillness of the ice thought follows thought you pick the whole to pieces and it seems so small but high above all towers one form why did you take this voyage could i do otherwise can the river arrest its course and run uphill my plan has come to nothing that palace of theory which i reared in pride and self-confidence high above all silly objections has fallen like a house of cards at the first breath of wind build up the most ingenious theories and you may be sure of one thing that fact will defy them all was i so very sure yes at times but that was self-deception intoxication a secret doubt lurked behind all the reasoning it seemed as though the longer i defended my theory the nearer i came to doubting it but no there is no getting over the evidence of that siberian driftwood but if after all we are on the wrong track what then only disappointed human hopes nothing more and even if we perish what will it matter in the endless cycles of eternity thursday november ninth i took temperatures and sea-water samples to-day every ten yards from the surface to the bottom the depth was nine and a half fathoms an extraordinarily even temperature of thirty degrees fahrenheit minus one point five centigrade through all the layers i have noticed the same thing before as far south as this 
so it is only polar water here there is not much pressure an inclination to it this morning and a little at eight o'clock this evening also a few squeezes later when we were playing cards friday november tenth this morning made despairing examinations of yesterday's water samples with thorno's electric apparatus there must be absolute stillness on board when this is going on the men are all terrified slip about on tiptoe and talk in the lowest possible whispers but presently one begins to hammer at something on deck and another to file in the engine-room when the chief's commanding voice is at once heard ordering silence these examinations are made by means of a telephone through which a very faint noise is heard which dies slowly away the moment at which it stops must be exactly ascertained i find remarkably little salt all the way to the bottom in the water here it must be mixed with fresh water from the siberian river there was some pressure this morning going on till nearly noon and we heard the noise of it in several directions in the afternoon the ice was quite slack with a large opening alongside the port side of the ship at half past seven pretty strong pressure began the ice crashing and grinding along the ship's side about midnight the roar of packing was heard to the south saturday november eleventh there has been some pressure in the course of the day the newly formed ice is about fifteen inches thick it is hard on the top but looser and porous below this particular piece of ice began to form upon a large opening in the night between the twenty seventh and twenty eighth october so it has frozen fifteen inches in fifteen days i observed that it froze three inches the first night and five inches altogether during the three first nights so that it has taken twelve days to the last ten inches even this small observation serves to show that the formation of ice goes on most easily where the crust is thin becoming more and more difficult as the thickness increases until at a certain thickness as we observed later it stops altogether it is curious that the pressure has gone on almost all day no slackening such as we have usually observed sunday november nineteenth our life has gone on its usual monotonous routine since the eleventh the wind has been steadily from the south all the week but to-day there is a little from north-northwest we have had pressure several times and have heard sounds of it in the southeast except for this the ice has been unusually quiet and it is closed in tightly round the ship since the last strong pressure we have probably ten to twenty feet of ice packed in below us hansen to-day worked out an observation taken the day before yesterday and surprised us with the welcome intelligence that we have travelled forty-four minutes north and a little east since the eighth we are now in seventy-eight degrees twenty-seven minutes north latitude one hundred thirty nine degrees twenty three minutes east longitude this is farther east than we have been yet for any sake let us only keep on as we are going the fram is a warm cosy abode whether the thermometer stands at twenty two degrees above zero or twenty two degrees below it we have no fire in the stove the ventilation is excellent especially since we rigged up the air sail which sends a whole winter's cold in through the ventilator 
yet in spite of this we sit here warm and comfortable with only a lamp burning i am thinking of having the stove removed altogether it is only in the way at least as far as our protection from the winter cold is concerned my calculations have turned out well neither do we suffer much from damp it does collect and drop a little from the roof in one or two places especially astern in the foreman cabins but nothing in comparison with what is common in other ships and if we lighted the stove it would disappear altogether when i have burned a lamp for quite a short time in my cabin every trace of damp is gone these are extraordinary fellows for standing the cold with the thermometer at twenty-two degrees fahrenheit below zero benson goes up in his shirt and trousers to read the thermometer on deck monday november twenty seventh the prevailing wind has been southerly with sometimes a little east the temperature still keeps between thirteen degrees and twenty-two degrees below zero in the hold it has fallen to twelve degrees it has several times struck me that the streamers of the aurora borealis followed in the direction of the wind from the wind's eye on the horizon on thursday morning when we had very slight northeasterly wind i even ventured to prophesy from the direction of the streamers that it would go round to the southeast which it accordingly did on the whole there has been much less of the aurora borealis lately than at the beginning of our drift still though it may have been faint there has been a little every day to-night it is very strong again these last days the moon has sometimes had rings round it with mock moons and axes accompanied by rather strange phenomena when the moon stands so low that the ring touches the horizon a bright field of light is formed where the horizon cuts the ring similar expanses of light are also formed where the perpendicular axis from the moon intersects the horizon faint rainbows are often to be seen in these shining light fields yellow is generally the strongest tint near the horizon passing over into red and then into blue similar colors could also be distinguished in the mock moons sometimes there are two large rings the one outside the other and then there may be four mock moons i have also seen part of a new ring above the usual one meeting it at a tangent directly above the moon as is well known these various ring formations round the sun as well as round the moon are produced by the refraction of rays of light by minute ice crystals floating in the air we looked for pressure with full moon and spring tide on twenty third of november but then and for several days afterwards the ice was quite quiet on the afternoon of saturday the twenty fifth however its distant roar was heard from the south and we have heard it from the same direction every day since this morning it was very loud and came gradually nearer at nine o'clock it was quite close to us and this evening we hear it near us again it seems however as if we had now got out of the groove to which the pressure principally confines itself we were regularly in it before the ice round us is perfectly quiet the probability is that the last severe pressure packed it very tight about us and that the cold since has frozen it into such a thick strong mass that it offers great resistance while the weaker ice in other places yields to the pressure 
the depth of the sea is increasing steadily and we are drifting north this evening hansen has worked out the observations of the day before yesterday and finds that we are in seventy nine degrees eleven minutes north latitude that is good and the way we ought to get on it is the most northern point we have reached yet and to-day we are in all likelihood still farther north we have made good way these last days and the increasing depth seems to indicate a happy change in the direction of our drift have we perhaps really found the right road at last we are drifting about five minutes a day the most satisfactory thing is that there has not been much wind lately especially the two last days yesterday it was only about three feet per second to-day is perfectly still and yet the depth has increased twenty-one fathoms forty meters in these two days it seems as if there were a northerly current after all no doubt many disappointments await us yet but why not rejoice while fortune smiles tuesday november twenty eighth the disappointment lost no time in coming there had been a mistake either in the observation or in hansen's calculations an altitude of jupiter taken yesterday evening shows us to be in seventy eight degrees thirty six minutes north latitude the soundings to-day showed seventy-four fathoms one hundred forty-two meters of water or about the same as yesterday and the sounding line indicated a southwesterly drift however anxious one is to take things philosophically one can't help feeling a little depressed i tried to find solace in a book absorb myself in the learning of the indians their happy faith in transcendental powers in the supernatural faculties of the soul and in a future life oh if only one could get hold of a little supernatural power now and oblige the winds always to blow from the south i went on deck this evening in rather a gloomy frame of mind but was nailed to the spot the moment i got outside there is the supernatural for you the northern lights flashing in matchless power and beauty over the sky in all the colors of the rainbow seldom or never have i seen the colors so brilliant the prevailing one at first was yellow but that gradually flickered over into green and then a sparkling ruby red began to show at the bottom of the rays on the underside of the arch soon spreading over the whole arch and now from the far-away western horizon a fiery serpent writhed itself up over the sky shining brighter and brighter as it came it split into three all brilliantly glittering then the colors changed the serpent to the south turned almost ruby red with spots of yellow the one in the middle yellow and the one to the north greenish white sheafs of rays swept along the sides of the serpents driven through the ether-like waves before a storm-wind they sway backwards and forwards now strong now fainter again the serpents reached and passed the zenith though i was thinly dressed and shivering with cold i could not tear myself away till the spectacle was over and only a faintly glowing fiery serpent near the western horizon showed where it had begun when i came on deck later the masses of light had passed northwards and spread themselves in incomplete arches over the northern sky if one wants to read mystic meanings into the phenomena of nature here surely is the opportunity 
the observation this afternoon showed us to be in seventy eight degrees thirty eight minutes forty two seconds north latitude this is anything but rapid progress wednesday november twenty ninth another dog has been bitten to death to-day fox a handsome powerful animal he was found lying dead and stiff on the ice at our stern this evening when they went to bring the dogs in, Suggan performing her usual duty of watching the body. They are wretches, these dogs, but now I have given orders that someone must always watch them when they are out on the ice. Thursday, November 30th. The ledge showed a depth of exactly 93 fathoms, 170 meters today, and it seemed by the line as if we were drifting northwest. We are almost certainly further north now. Hopes are rising, and life is looking brighter again. My spirits are like a pendulum, if one could imagine such an instrument giving all sorts of irregular swings backwards and forwards. It is no good trying to take the thing philosophically. I cannot deny that the question whether we are to return successful or unsuccessful affects me very deeply. It is quite easy to convince myself with the most incontrovertible reasoning that what really matters is to carry through the expedition, whether successfully or not, and get safe home again. I could not but undertake it, for my plan was one that I felt must succeed, and therefore it was my duty to try it. Well, if it does not succeed, is that my affair? I have done my duty, done all that could be done, and can return home with an easy conscience to the quiet happiness I have left behind. What can it matter whether chance, or whatever name you like to give it, does or does not allow the plan to succeed and make our names immortal? The worth of the plan is the same, whether chance smiles or frowns upon it. And as to immortality, happiness is all we want, and that is not to be had here. I can say all this to myself a thousand times. I can bring myself to believe honestly that it is all a matter of indifference to me. But none the less, my spirits change like the clouds of heaven according as the wind blows from this direction or from that, or the soundings show the depth to be increasing or not, or observations indicate a northerly or southerly drift. When I think of the many that trust us, think of Norway think of all the friends that gave us their time, their faith, and their money. The wish comes that they may not be disappointed, and I grow somber when our progress is not what we expected it would be. And she that gave most, does she deserve that her sacrifice should have been made in vain? Ah, yes, we must and will succeed. Sunday, December 3rd. Sunday again, with its feeling of peace, and its permission to indulge in the narcotic of happy daydreams and let the hours go idly by without any prickings of conscience. Today the bottom was not reached with over 135 and a half fathoms, 250 meters of line. There was a northeasterly drift. Yesterday's observation showed us to be in 78 degrees, 44 minutes north latitude. That is five minutes farther north than on Tuesday. It is horribly slow, but it is forward, and forward we must go. There can be no question of that. Tuesday, December 5th. This is the coldest day we have had yet, with a thermometer 31 degrees below zero, minus 35.7 degrees centigrade, 
and a biting wind from the east-southeast. Observation in the afternoon shows 78 degrees 50 minutes north latitude, that is six minutes farther north than on Saturday, or two minutes per day. In the afternoon we had magnificent aurora borealis, glittering arches across the whole vault of the sky from the east towards the west, but when I was on deck this evening the sky was overcast. Only one star shone through the cloudy veil, the home star. How I love it! It is the first thing my eye seeks, and it is always there, shining on our path. I feel as if no ill could befall us, as long as I see it there. Wednesday, December 6th. This afternoon the ice cracked abaft the starboard quarter. This evening I see that the crack has opened. We may expect pressure now, as it is new moon either today or tomorrow. Thursday, December 7th. The ice pressed at the stern at five o'clock this morning for about an hour. I lay in my berth and listened to it creaking and grinding and roaring. There was slight pressure again in the afternoon, nothing to speak of, no slackening in the forenoon. Friday, December 8th. Pressure from seven till eight this morning. As I was sitting drawing in the afternoon, I was startled by a sudden report or crash. It seemed to be straight overhead, as if great masses of ice had fallen from the rigging onto the deck above my cabin. Everyone starts up and throws on some extra garment. Those that are taking an afternoon nap jump out of their berths right into the middle of the saloon, calling out to know what has happened. Peterson rushes up the companion ladder in such wild haste that he bursts open the door in the face of the mate, who is standing in the passage holding back Kvik, who has also started in fright from the bed in the chart-room, where she is expecting her confinement. On deck we could discover nothing, except that the ice was in motion, and seemed to be sinking slowly away from the ship. Great piles had been packed up under the stern this morning and yesterday. The explosion was probably caused by a violent pressure, suddenly loosening all the ice along the ship's side, the ship at the same time taking a strong list to port. There was no cracking of wood to be heard, so that, whatever it was, the Fram cannot have been injured. But it was cold, and we crept down again. As we were sitting at supper about six o'clock, pressure suddenly began. The ice creaked and roared so along the ship's sides close by us that it was not possible to carry on any connected conversation. We had to scream, and all agreed with Nordahl when he remarked that it would be much pleasanter if the pressure would confine its operations to the bow instead of coming bothering us here aft. Amidst the noise we caught every now and again from the organ a note or two of Cherolf's melody, I could not sleep for the nightingale's voice. The hurly-burly outside lasted for about twenty minutes, and then all was still. Later in the evening Hansen came down to give notice of what really was a remarkable appearance of aurora borealis. The deck was brightly illuminated by it, and reflections of its light played all over the ice. The whole sky was ablaze with it, but it was brightest in the south, high up in that direction glowed waving masses of fire. Later still Hansen came again to say that now it was quite extraordinary. No words can depict the glory that met our eyes. 
the glowing fire masses had divided into glistening many-colored bands which were writhing and twisting across the sky both in the south and north the rays sparkled with the purest most crystalline rainbow colors chiefly violet red or carmine and the clearest green most frequently the rays of the arch were red at the ends and changed higher up into sparkling green which quite at the top turned darker and went over into blue or violet before disappearing in the blue of the sky or the rays in one and the same arch might change from clear red to clear green coming and going as if driven by a storm it was an endless phantasmagoria of sparkling color surpassing anything that one can dream sometimes the spectacle reached such a climax that one's breath was taken away one felt that now something extraordinary must happen at the very least the sky must fall but as one stands in breathless expectation down the whole thing trips as if in a few quick light scale runs into bare nothingness there is something almost undramatic about such a denouement but it is all done with such confident assurance that one cannot take it amiss one feels oneself in the presence of a master who has the complete command of his instrument with a single stroke of the bow he descends lightly and elegantly from the height of passion into quiet everyday strains only with a few more strokes to work himself up into passion again it seems as if he were trying to mock to tease us when we are on the point of going below driven by sixty one degrees of frost minus thirty four point seven degrees centigrade such magnificent tones again vibrate over the strings that we stay until noses and ears are frozen for a finale there is a wild display of fireworks in every tint of flame such a conflagration that one expects every minute to have it down on the ice because there is not room for it in the sky but i can hold out no longer thinly dressed without a proper cap and without gloves i have no feeling left in body or limbs and i crawl away below end of file ten